I've lost 20 pounds on a high-fat, low-carb diet. And uh, I think I love cheese more than my children now at this point. I got people walking up, giving me cheese. Uh, small groups is a great place to plug in, get to know people. You know you're growing on the Father when you're growing in intimacy with other people. And there's a lie out there that all you need is God. That's not true. <laughs> I mean, he even told Adam, uh, I'm not enough for you. You need Eve. That usually goes over very well. It's not good for man to be alone. Well, he wasn't alone. He was walking with God in the cool of the day. We need each other. You know, there, there is a, there's objective fruit that you can evaluate on am I growing with God. We did a, a series here recently called uh, Healing the Orphan Spirit. And we talked about getting to the king's table. You know, how do you know if you're growing with God? Because when I was growing up, the only way you knew you were growing with God is who'd you lead to Jesus that day? And you care more about converts and then pounding your own chest when someone's marriage is falling apart or their life's falling apart. There ought to be more objective truth on my tree than, yeah, I said yes to Jesus. I I said yes to Jesus when I was 12. Am I growing in holiness? Am I growing in kindness? Am I growing in gentleness? And so I think what I'm trying to say is get involved in some of these groups. Even if you're an introvert, just find an extrovert. They're a little bit off most of the time. Find an extrovert, go to a group. And how about about this? This is a word of knowledge. You ready? Find someone you've never met and invite them to lunch with you sometime around here. See, a lot of people uh, depend upon clergy to give you community. And that's like uh, like me riding past the gym for all those years with my YMCA card in my pocket. You know, I've never had an elliptical machine jump on me. (laughs) Trish, uh, is is Rich here? Come on up here. Y'all come up here. I want to interview you. This is a cool story about First Fruits. Let's give a big hand to our athletic director at BCA, Trish Van Slyke. And her husband, Rich. Let me, let me uh, set the stage here for you. Y'all come on up here. So I, I spoke on First Fruits three, two weeks ago-ish. And um, me and you had a conversation about, you know, what does it mean to bring First Fruits into the house? You weren't like pushing back on it. You were just... Okay, before we go all in, like, are you sure this is God? And I just want you guys to tell them what's happened in the last 14 days after going all in in this house with your first fruits. It's dangerous to give this microphone to either one of us. So, uh, well, we, um, we, we wanted to obey God. We, we are in with the plan here. We, we want to see this church grow. We want to see, um, cause, uh, Trish has been teaching across the street for what, nine years, eight years now. And, um, we, we believe in Bridgeway school. Um, so we really wanted to obey God with our, with our money. We have tied before and we guess we didn't really understand it. We were listening to what Chad was talking about and we really didn't understand what is tithing, what is first fruits, how do they work out. So we went up to Chad during a meal uh, with uh, about Bridgeway um, uh, Academy, and uh, we just said, "No, what's the difference? You know, what, how is fruits, first fruits compared to the tithe, and how does that work out?" Because we have many streams of income, and we both have part-time jobs, full-time jobs. And um, we just want to, you know, we want to obey God, but we want to do it the right way. And we just felt it was a little confusing about how it worked out. So we went to Chad, and, you know, I can just keep on talking, you know. Um, I went to Chad, and, uh, and we both did, and just like, how does it work out? He said, well, they're both, they're basically the same. 
Um, the first fruits, well, the way we perceive it is that when we get that check in, when it comes to our bank, we take 10% of that immediately. And then, then we start using that money for other things after, uh, after that. Um, so when we got a check for one thing, we'd, we'd tithe off it immediately. So some, we might give two or three tithes a week. To, we want to make sure we're tithing off and we start using it for other things. And then I told Trish, I said, what's important is putting faith on that first 10% saying, Father, this is my first fruits. Now I believe by faith that the other 90% is blessed. Yes, because my husband is in sales and um, 20 years, he never makes the same amount of money every week. So um, he has a base, but his base salary basically in four weeks would not cover our mortgage for a month. So we were coming off the end of December, January. He had not had a sale in four weeks. Talked to Chad on a Monday. Um, no, I'm sorry, on a Friday, that yeah. dinner. No, I'm sorry, it was Monday, the uh, Martin Luther King Day. Um, we had given our first fruits. Two days later, Rich had his biggest sale he's ever had at the company that he's at um, in two years. And since it's been three weeks, um, we have given more in three weeks um, about half of what we gave all of last year. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. And Rich had another big sale last week, and he has one coming down the pike. Um, but, Chad, the thing is, is was it, it's not about the money. Friends, it's not about the money, but it was a heart change for us. And it's not about just giving the first fruits of your, your money, but it's your time and your relationship. And during that fast, I'll just let Rich conclude with this, because this, you know, during the fast, Rich... <laughs> He gave up Netflix at night and uh, studied the word instead. And we'll just quickly let him give the revelation that God gave him about wealth and what that looks like. Right. So um, as I'm reading the Bible, I started out, I just started looking up the word spirit. And I just wanted anything that had to do with the spirit of God. Um, And I just started going through the Bible like that. But as um, I start reading different scriptures and stuff. Uh, God just starts revealing information to me, like even just during the day. You know, it's like, I don't know about you, but it's like a download. All of a sudden, bam, he just, he doesn't, I never heard God actually talk to me, but he like just downloads information. All of a sudden, bam, he just knows something. So I got, I love getting all my the family together and saying, okay, I got some more revelation for you guys. So I started talking, I started asking questions. You know, when you think of wealth, what is the most important thing? Or what do you think of when you think of wealth? If a person is wealthy, what does that mean to you? And, you know, I think one of them said uh, money. And that's generally what the world thinks. But really, it, I felt like in our community, the most important thing when it comes to wealth is having a relationship with God. If we don't have a relationship with God Almighty um, through the Holy Spirit, we have nothing. You give all the money in the world. If you don't have that, it's not going to do you much good when you die because, you know, we may not go where we want to go. So the most important thing is have a relationship with him. And then I felt like the most important thing after that is have a relationship with your family and with friends. And then health and then money. Because without all those things first, money is really not that important. So I just felt like in my heart I had to prioritize money. Um, we don't have to worry. Let's not worry about money. Let's worry about putting God first, our family second, and our health obviously is very important as well. And then, uh, you know, then we're about jobs and stuff like that. So I think by putting it in priority, then we're then I think God was able to release um, money because now we understand how it works and what how things go in order. 
Would you like to take some time to talk about how good of a job your coach is doing for you? As I'm kidding. Let's give them a hand this morning. Thank you, Rich. When Trish sat down with me, uh, I don't know, five months ago, she says, will you coach our basketball team? And you know, a coach is only as good as his players. I said, Trish, we're going to win one game. We've won eight games. We're eight and eight. We're going to play Mitchell Road Christian Academy Tuesday. And they got one coming right at their face. Tuesday at 5.30 p.m., second round of the playoffs, BCA Warriors. We're like the movie Hoosiers. Mark Thrasher is my assistant coach. He sits down the end. He yells at the referees the entire game. It really is funny. I fall in love with these guys. It's like my little, my little family. Uh, a couple of principles before we get started here for the next couple hours is this. Number one, never find a church that encourages you to snuggle up to your own insecurities. And never find a friend that does the same as well. You should have a friend or three in your life that is more of a thorn to you in Christ than a snuggle bug to help you cuddle up to who you are not. Okay, so this is the king's table, right? One of these days when we do this series again, I'll have this huge table up here with maybe like a crown on it. But right now, here she is, right here. There's indicators of whether or not I'm in the king's table. It's impossible to be at the king's table and not give my first fruits to God financially. Can't happen. You know you are not at the king's table when the people you gravitate towards do not drive you towards the table. They help you snuggle up to your own insecurities. (laughs) You need someone in your life that triggers you a lot in Christ, not from the enemy. You don't need someone that's, you know, cussing you out. I'm saying you need someone in your life that's walking with God and triggers you. Some of you believe that your spouse is your biggest problem. Your spouse is your biggest savior in your life from the hand of the father. (laughs) I believe God gives us spouses to show us what we need. In a true healthy marriage, you're both sharpening each other. Has it ever occurred to us that perhaps what we think is keeping us from our destiny is not the person beside us, but the person in the mirror? Sounds like a Michael Jackson song, doesn't it? (laughs) If all I do in this season, after God told me I would die, if I didn't get in shape, I told you guys all that. If all I do is find my friends that love bread more than I do, then I will go to heaven at some point. Really, really soon. That's what God told me. I told you guys I'd die. Mike Jones, stand up. Mike Jones, come come up here. Stand on this stage. Come here. Come here. Now, give Mike Jones a hand. All right. All right. Mike has an assignment in my life right now. And I'm not being self-deprecating, but I want you to look at the difference in me and Mike. Okay. If I want to get to health like a 54-year-old man, guess what I actually have to do? I drove to Clinton this week for the second week in a row. We flipped a 232-pound tire. Couldn't see out of my left eye and slurred my words for four days. (laughs) The whole point is this. Perhaps you need to find someone that has what you don't have instead of going to snuggle up with that marshmallow puff man because that makes you feel good. Thank you for coming up here. The whole whole point is this. Um, If your marriage is struggling... 
don't look for people to hang out with that helps you be comfortable with your own insecurities. Find a strong marriage around you that you may not have anything in common with them and say, can we submit to you for a while? I want to say this. This is going to sound so mean. This is going to sound like a reform conference. You ready? Here it goes. Jesus is not as interested in making you as comfortable as you've been taught. Because you cannot grow in comfort. You grow when you are uh, provoked. <laughs> oh, man. What's that song I was making fun of earlier this morning? You can have it all, Lord. Typically, that's not what we mean. You can have some of me. He wants all of you. And the way he'll get all of you is to intentionally force you into tension. You know why God loves tension in your life? Because it'll always make you grow. And the Father's more interested in you growing into the image of Jesus than he is your destiny. <laughs> if you're seeking a destiny, first thing you need to make sure, are you born again? Because a lot of people want influence, but they don't want God. This is like, I'm just sharing my thoughts. I'm sharing my journal. I got the microphone. I can say whatever I want to say. You ready? The closer I get to God, he's not like I thought he was. He loves me more than I ever thought he did. I can't, I, I'm, I, even this morning, I just like smitten with him. But he hates discomfort in my life. Yesterday, I'm getting a um, doctorate right now, and I had to write a paper yesterday. And thank God college football was over. It's a lot easier to do that on a Saturday. And um, I was going to take yesterday off, and I'm taking today off fitness. And the God of the universe, who's not a teddy bear, he's not a rabbit's foot, he said, go upstairs and get your kettlebell. And he told me the workout to do. Nobody else in the room. I wasn't doing it to please anyone. I was doing it to please him. And it's one of the hardest things that I've done. Because he knows he's designed us that we grow through tension. So he loves his baby boy more than anything in the world. He loves Jesus. What's the first thing he does before Jesus begins his ministry? Go into a desert and don't eat for 40 days. And I'm going to tempt you with Satan in Hebrew, the accuser. Well, the father would never lead me into anything uncomfortable because it's all about me. And God just wants me to be cozy. No, God wants you to be holy. And to produce holiness in your life, he will provoke you. Y'all listening? I'm preaching a lot better than anybody's listening for the last five minutes. All right. And so I just say embrace it. I love Simon Peter at the end of his life. Simon Peter's like, you were just, in his mind thinking, you were just unrecognizable on a cross. And now you're standing here and you're telling me you want to do what? Well, what about John? And Jesus said, well, don't worry about John. Let John, I'll take John where I want to take him. And this is what he says to Simon. He does not say, Simon, they're going to write a book about you one day. It's going to be canonized scripture. And you're going to be in a bunch of jokes because people are going to think you're the one that lets everyone into heaven. And then Coldplay one day will sing about you and all this kind of, he doesn't say that. He doesn't talk about Peter's uh, destiny, your platform, Simon. He says they are going to drag you where you don't want to go and they'll kill you. How about that for an invitation? Sign up for that. We can do a signs, wonders, glory, and destiny conference. Dress the part and say the words and who wants a destiny? Everyone floods down here. Or you can do this. Um, who wants to die? Who wants God so bad that you want him more than you want your next breath, but he'll never give you much clarity because he doesn't want you to have clarity because if he gives you clarity, you won't have to wrestle with him. Who wants to wrestle uh, like Jacob did for three days? Who wants God to come for you and it may cost you everything? 
crickets. We'll go find another church. We'll go find another conference. I just, I love the fact that God's calling me to the carpet more and more and more in my life. So I preached what I preached last Sunday. Was anyone here last Sunday? So it's pretty, I mean, I said where we're going for a, for a long time. And I had more spiritual warfare from Sunday night till Friday night at 1.29 a.m. when he woke me up at 1.29 a.m. than I have in the past six months. It's interesting. The Holy Spirit tells Paul one day, he says, um, don't go into Macedonia, go into this city. And Paul says, okay, I'll be obedient. And when he goes into that city, that's when he gets stoned and almost dies. Who led him there? We got to be careful that we're not following a fictitious Jesus. God's not concerned about Chad Norris's destiny. He's concerned about my obedience. And the only way I get influence is if I let him actually crush me and my seed goes into the ground and then it sprouts an abundance. What happened to the New Testament church? How did it grow? Martyrs. We just got to be careful that uh, we're not creating God in our own image and following a snuffleupagus when God is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because he cares more about my checkbook than how passionately I sing songs. If I surrender at the altar, but my checkbook's not surrendered to him, I'm not surrendered. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to beat anyone up. I promise. I live in a modest home. Nobody calls me apostle this or that. You don't call me bishop this or that. I drive a Honda Accord. Uh, I did buy my wife a Honda Pilot. We live in a good, I'm not, this isn't like give so into the great man of God. This isn't about me. This is just basically Bridgeway's coming to a place where we're saying, look, we don't want cultural Christianity. If you think the music's too loud in here, well then get earplugs or sit in the back. I don't, we're, not, we're not trying to like serve coffee that put out all these tests, who likes the best coffee. We're just saying, God, we want to be a group of people that even though we don't live in a third world country, we want to have that heart in us where uh, even though it may look like poverty in our hearts that we have nothing, we know we have everything because you have us. It's basically God, come and get it all. And so when I say God come kill me, I don't mean that like statistically. I'm just saying Luke 9, 23. You can have it all. You can have it all. Go to 1 Peter, uh, I can't remember what it was, 5, 7 maybe? That's, that doesn't sound right. Okay, 3, 7. All right, so check this out. I'm gonna talk about the principles of finances today and giving for about just about 20 minutes. But I wanna tell you, I wanna talk about priorities first. Let's go to the definition of priorities before we go to 1 Peter. So what does priority mean? Uh, precedence, especially established by the order of importance or urgency. I like that word urgency. Okay, so we know what priority is. If, some, if, uh, if God hired a private investigator to follow you around seven days a week, would there be evidence in your life that God is a priority to you? By the way, there's no condemnation for any of this of what I'm saying. I just want to throw out some accountable words today. There has to be some objectivity of whether or not I'm at the table, that I'm, de- I'm deep friends with him. Is there evidence that God is a priority in your marriage, in your finances, in your fitness, in your time along with him, in your thought life, in the way that you treat coworkers? Could someone say about your life without getting a word of knowledge, by the way, because prophetic can be dangerous because you can prophesy someone and pull the gold out of them, but there's not enough free on the tree to carry that word. I, I, if you lean too much into the prophetic, you're really what you're calling prophetic, God calls denial. Holy smokes. 
I don't, I'm telling you, that is from him. So in other words, Gideon, you valiant warrior. If all of I do is harp on Gideon being a valiant warrior, there has to be a point in the story where Gideon actually dwindles down to 300 men and wins the war. If Gideon never steps into winning the war, then that valiant word, it, it's, it's really kind of hollow. Jesus loves word of knowledge and prophecy and discernment, but I'm gonna tell you what he loves more. He loves fruit. God loves fruit. Man, this is good. Y'all need to help me or something. Um, it's, is there fruit on my tree where I don't have to say, I, don't, I shouldn't have to convince someone that he's my priority. That's what I'm trying to say. It should be pretty noticeable. Okay, so watch this. I have a friend in my life. I'm not going to mention his name, but his name is Roy Giese. And uh, he's been a thorn in my life for five years from the father. What Mike Jones is to me, flipping a tire, Roy is to me, walking with God. He loves me enough to let truth trump who I am, who I was. And I return the favor to him. And we call each other out more than any friend that I have. And uh, I don't... (laughs) uh, Anyway, it's just it's been a five-year track record. He sits me down five years ago. We're downtown Greenville. This is before we hardly even know each other. He said, your marriage is good, but it's not great. And you don't, you're not honoring the wife, your wife, the Lord says, the way you should right now. And I'm not going to lie, for five seconds, I just thought, you know how it is. The, uh, we get defensive. If you don't get defensive in here, you're a liar. Okay? You know where liars go when they die. Washington, D.C., all right? And after about five seconds, I said, all right, I'm listening. He said, your marriage is good, but it's not great. And he says, do you want your prayers hindered? And I said, pardon me? This is a principle. Before we get into finances, principles are principles. Shondai. Other one. Shaka. Baba. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What if I told you that God moves in people's lives, not just off sovereignty, but what if favor actually flows to his own principles when you abide by them? God has not moved in my life in the last 36 days when it comes to fitness. I've eliminated one thing from my diet, sugar. Someone say, oh, God's moving in your life. You've lost 20 pounds in 36 days. I mean, he moved, honestly, a long, long time ago when he told me what to do. I just magically abide by a principle and it just sovereignly, magically happens. There's nothing sovereign about it. The word sovereign means set apart. It's never meant controlling. Has it ever occurred to any of us husbands that perhaps what we're going through in our marriage is a reflection of this verse? And by the way, I'm not talking about just marriages that are on the, uh, you know, really falling apart. I'm just talking about good, good. You know the book, Good to Great? Let's just take the principle of marriage. Whether we like it or not, husbands, look at me. It is on you to lead your wife. It is on you to treat her with honor and dignity. Well, she doesn't deserve it. Okay, but guess what? God's own principle is going to oppose you, spirit-filled, tongue-talking Christian. If I ignore the principle of first fruits and finances, God will ignore what he's already promised. A lot of people think that God is very mysterious. He's not that mysterious. People who say that are ignorant of his written word. 
And ignorance is not synonymous with stupidity. It's just ignorance. I have asked him to show me principles throughout scripture. He's showing them to me. And it is amazing what happens when you abide by the ancient principles that are not prophetic. Chad, honor Jack and Amanda. Okay, I'll do that. Chad, elevate your wife, honor your wife. Okay, I'll do that. Chad, give me sugar. Okay, I'll do that. Chad, give me your first fruits. Okay, I'll do that. God, is there anything else you want from me? Yes, Chad, there is. Go to Matthew six thirty-three. I'm not saying this as a pastor. I'm a son of God chasing him just like you are. But seek first his kingdom. He's not asking me to seek his kingdom. He's asking me to seek first his kingdom. Here's what I'm saying. If you don't seek his kingdom first, don't be surprised when his kingdom never manifests in your life. I'm going to say something so clear, you're going to have to hire someone to help you misunderstand it. In 2017, specifically in charismatic or community churches, comfortable churches, especially church in the West, what we call legalism, God calls principles. It's not legalism. And this message of warped grace has entered the picture where it's like, well, God will just accept you wherever you are. Oh, of course he does, but he never leaves you there. And if he accepts you where you are and your mentality, your paradigm is, I'm okay with him. What if you're not okay with him? What if you are in him, but your life is dominated by opposite of the principles that he's established for us? And I'm blessing myself, I swear. I, I swear I'm blessing myself. I'm speaking this right to myself. I don't want anything in my life that opposes what he's already written before I was even born. You want to know why? It makes even musical worship a form of prostitution because I'm coming to him in some act of connecting with him. But he, he, I don't really even belong to him. It's fake. It's weird. It's, it's, uh, it's plastic. It, it's not true. It, I want to live my life by principles just as passionately as I want to worship with him corporately with the body. If I'm coming to the altar asking God to literally just forgive me of anything in my life that's not right with him right now without asking him to show me who I need to go to to ask them to forgive me, that's wrong. It's opposing a principle. If I'm talking about heaven is always open over me, that's not true. Unforgiveness will shut heaven over your life in four seconds. It's a principle. Well, that's just too legalistic. Oh my goodness. If you would have followed Jesus Christ as a disciple, you'd have had the Torah memorized too by the age of probably 15. And you wouldn't have said, this is just legalistic, Jesus. I just need to sleep in. Some of you need to set your alarm for an hour earlier and get up and get on your knees for a literal hour. I think what's happening at Bridgeway is we're starting to talk about a third world hunger for God in a first world country. It's not normal just to give him some. You can have some, God. That's how we live. He doesn't want some. And so if the core of your heart is, I honest to God, honestly, God, I just want you to have all of me, he always will respond with, Chad, I love that prayer. Let me show you some areas in your life that I don't condemn you for. Let me just show you that if you will tweak and align to principles that I gave before you were even born, you will have so much of me, you will have to tell me to stop. Go to Proverbs 3, 1 through 10. Let's just talk about finances. This is his word. This is Proverbs. This is Old Covenant. In the Hebrew, that means long time ago. You ready? My son, do not forget my teaching. He's always saying, don't forget. That's why Deuteronomy 8, don't forget, don't forget. We're always forgetting his principles. Don't forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on a tablet of your heart. 
Then you will, then, then you will, then you will, then you will. Then you will, you will win favor. Then, Chad, you won't die early because you've done what I told you to do by getting off that stuff that's killing your body. Then you will. Oh, God, just moving my life. Chad, I moved your life a long time ago. I gave you wisdom. You're not abiding by the wisdom. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Then you will. Next verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. He will make them straight. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now watch this. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. If our barns are not filled to overflowing, it's not because God doesn't want to move. It's because we're not putting into place the principles that Rich and Trish just talked about. If you think it's an accident that God invaded uh, Rich's business in the past couple weeks, then that's just a high form of unbelief. There's something about saying, all right, Father, I'm going to trust you with the first 10% of my finances. And I'm going to say two things every time I give to you, to the local house where you have me plugged in. I did not give myself this money. It's not mine. And by faith, I give it to you. And I believe the rest of my 90% is blessed. If you think this is a fundraising technique for Bridgeway, you don't know me. This is his word. I want to tell you a story. I'm actually going to end with that video today, Chris. I'm going to tell you a story that I've never known. God calls Moses on the backside of a desert. It's a great story. Moses is not looking for God. The bush is on fire. And Moses has a heart attack, and it's God speaking. And God says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. You got to understand now, we're talking three to five million people, slaves, God's assignment on Moses scared him to death. Moses never had a problem with how big God was, but when Moses realized that's what God wanted him to do, Moses had a heart attack. And he says, I can't do this. And he gives him Aaron. You know the story. Pharaoh finally, after a couple of uh, uh, strong suggestions by the Almighty, (laughs) through blood and some other things and locusts, and then a bunch of people die. The death angel comes. uh, Passover happens. They leave, and it was supposed to take somewhere between 10 to 15 days. You know the story. Through disobedience and not abiding by the principles that who God is, what was supposed to be a short journey turned into what John Helms, University of Tennessee, has been through the last 15 years of just, they've been great forever and all of a sudden they're in a desert. They're in a desert and then Moses has a mishap with God and God says, because of your anger and you struck that tablet, you're not going into the promised land. So here's Moses number two, man. Always be careful when you're hanging around a great person of God because just watch out because you're probably being set up by the Almighty and you don't know it. Joshua was very comfortable staying on the mountain when Moses went into the tent. He wasn't doing this to take over one day. He's like, he never wanted any piece of this. God wasn't a teddy bear back then. He'd come on the mountain and said, I'm gonna kill your animals if you don't consecrate them. It was not, you're a good, good father. It was more like, whoa, here he comes, hit the dirt. Moses' face is glowing, hair sitting straight out. And... uh it's an interesting story. Joshua takes over and God says, uh, Moses, my servant is dead and I'm gonna take you to the promised land. And Joshua says, oh gosh. And then he goes, fear not. And he says it a few times. Okay, now watch this. I know, you know the story of Rahab. Do y'all know the first city that God gave Joshua? What's the first city? Jericho. Okay, th- do you know this about Jericho. When Joshua, remember he has to march around it seven times and it's really bizarre. When Jericho falls, what does God say to Joshua? 
Does anyone know this? Go to Joshua 6. On the screen. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. When God gives Jericho into the hands, he saves Rahab. Jesus comes through Rahab's lineage. Gives Jericho into the hands of the Israelite. Why does God tell them, do not rebuild Jericho and give that city to me? It was the first city. God wanted the first city. If I have a misunderstanding of God, I'm incompatible and that's bad news because he's not going to change. I have to change. At the core of his core values list up in heaven, behind his big old mahogany desk, he has it on his wall. He loves the first. When you know the nature of someone, you can always predict his behavior. He loves the first. Seek ye first the kingdom. Now watch this. If you think all those other cities were sovereignly given to Joshua, you don't understand how it works. God said, Joshua, you give me the first city and I'll give you all the others. You want to know why Joshua was given so many cities in the promised land? Because the wars didn't start until the promised land. People think that Sabbath is like taking a vacation with God with your enemies that are not near you. When you're close with God, your enemies will come really close to you and you'll find peace in the middle of all your storms. God doesn't desire to get you away from storms. He desires to do something in you to where you just rest in the middle of the storm. Jesus. Joshua did not have success just because God touched him or anointed him. Oh, great man of God. Joshua had success because he gave God the first city. Now check this out. King Ahab was awful. 500 years go by. 500. When God gives a principle, he doesn't forget it. It's amazing. And there's this Yahoo named Heel who decides to rebuild Jericho 500 years after it was destroyed by God. Look at this. This next verse. In Ahab's time, 500 years later, Heel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of the firstborn son, Abraham, Abraham, however you say that, and he set up its gates at the cost of the youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. What am I trying to say? God wanted that first fruits city for himself. He gave him a principle and says, Joshua, everywhere you go, I will give you the land because I'm already with you, but you still have to be obedient to my principles. Give me my first fruit city and I'll give you all the other cities. And he said, absolutely. Joshua was a man that did not recalibrate what God said ever. If God said it, Joshua believed it. He draws a line in the sand in Joshua 24. He says, as for me and my house, I'm not going anywhere. They come up against AI. Joshua said, you said that every city is ours. What happened? A principle was broken. And some guy named Achan had taken a plunder he wasn't supposed to take. So you know what Joshua did? Killed Achan. You want to know why? And a bunch of others. Joshua had revelation that the principles of God were not to hurt him or confine him. It wasn't to oppress him. It was to bless him. God's principle of first fruits is not to make us miserable. It's to bless us. But God will not move in my life until I give him my first. And when I give him my first, then he says, you better build enough storehouses to contain the wealth I'll bring you. It seems more spiritual to say that I'm just comfortable with poverty. I'll just stay modest. When you get to heaven, you're going to be very uncomfortable. He's very rich. He's absolutely loaded. Jesus told me one time, I said, Lord, you, you just, you're loaded. And Jesus said, I'm Jewish. I started dying laughing when he told me that. (laughs) 
I'm going to make this very simple. You're either going to have to be disobedient, hate me, or need counseling if you don't get this. You ready? I dare you, if this is your home, I dare you to bring your first fruits into this house and watch what God does in 2017. That's what I told Trish. Over there, coach of basketball, I just looked at her and I said, Trish, I dare you. Do it. Seek ye first his kingdom. At the end of the day, if we, if we just want God, he's saying, I want you too, but I must have your first. There's an awesome passage in Exodus where he says, I'm a jealous God. The father doesn't like to uh, be admired. He wants his children to be obedient and close to him because obedience is the only fruit of intimacy. And so in, in many ways, it's not even about the money. It's about he wants to be a priority because in his eyes, his first fruits to us was his own baby boy. And so he can't help himself. He gave Jesus to us to be slaughtered as the penalty to get us back into right relationship with him. Why does first fruits matter so much to him? Because it's evidence and fruit on the tree that, that we're close. And so what I encourage you to do, if Bridgeway is the place that you call home, don't just write a check and don't not think about it. Whenever you get paid, whether it's $50 or $50 million, say, Father, I realize that everything coming to me is from you. This is my first fruits on behalf of me, behind my family. I just give you my first fruits knowing that everything else is blessed. It is my honor to give you my first. I'll close with this. I told him uh, uh, when he gave me that dream, it scared me really bad. I said, I want you to recalibrate anything in my life that's keeping me from being really close to you. And he said, I want to recalibrate your idea of first fruits and I want to recalibrate your idea of fitness. And what's interesting is in the past 36 days, it has seemed less like a diet to me and more about an intimate connection with him. I'm serious. And so if you want to go all in with God, this is not a campaign for Bridgeway, It's a principle that it's going to cost you something. Love has to cost you something. Love has to look like something. Let's stand up together. In the name of Jesus, may you become so passionate about first fruits that you have the courage to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what that means in your life. May you never look at your finances the same again. And may you be next in line to have to give your testimony of how he blew your mind away and your family's mind away with his goodness. I dare you to give him his first. It belongs to him anyway. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace. God bless.